Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Good to see everybody. Feeling good in your soul? Amen. Man, that was powerful. Powerful, powerful. Um, I want to read. I just want to jump in John chapter 18. I'm going to read this morning out of the Passion Translation. Um, and so if you're reading out of a King James, New King James, my wording is going to be a little different. But um, basically, um, that first, that first, just everything flowed. I just want to talk about God's great love for us. How many knows that he went a long way to get us? How many are thankful that he never gives up on us? Come on now. <laughs> I'm so thankful that God never gives up on us. We may give up on ourselves. And, and one of the things that we gotta one of the things that we gotta break off of is because we're frustrated with ourselves and because we gave up on ourselves, we thank God gave up on us. But how many know God is not like you? He's full of love and he's full of mercy. He is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all come to the knowledge of his saving grace. John chapter 18. I want to set this up before I just dive in here. And what I want to do is just read. Um, Mr. Allen came to me. I guess it was uh, last, might have been Wednesday night. And he was sharing with me uh, a study that him and Miss Ianne went through. And by the way, she's sick this morning, so pray for her. And, um, and so he just was telling me about this book. And it, it's basically an in-depth study of the passion of Christ, the things in which Jesus suffered. You know, sometimes just reading it through the text... We just read through it so fast, and we don't really realize that the pi- the price that he paid for us. And so, um, he it, this book impacted him so much he drove to my house. I think it was Thursday. It was that he brought the book, and um, I looked at it, and it was about it was I think it was about close three hundred pages. And I said, "Well, I better jump on it." But I read that book yesterday. It was a very powerful, uh, powerful uh, book, and um, to realize all the things that Jesus paid for us. How many knows that John's gospel deals with really the last week of Jesus' life? And in John chapter 12, we find the story there that Jesus is at the house of Bethany where Mary is going to anoint the feet of Jesus. And it upsets Judas because of uh, what she did. And, um, but she anointed Jesus for his burial. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, once a year, a spotless lamb would be killed for a family. And it was for the atonement of the sin that had been committed by the family. And one of the things that even in the old covenant that taught us, it was not about how good the family was, but how great the sacrifice was. Come on, somebody. It was not how what you done, but it was all about the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be spot, spotless and without blemish. And so... In the old covenant, the lamb was brought in five days, five days to be inspected to see if there'd be any spot or any blemish in it. That's why in John 12, we find that six days, the scripture says in John 12, Jesus is in the house of Bethany. And it says the following day, Jesus is going into Jerusalem because he's about to become the spotless sacrificial lamb once and for all for the atonement of sin. And now I want to jump into, and, and, and then we go into John chapter 13. This is where Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. He knows that he is fixing to, he knows that he is fixing to fulfill the mission which his father sent him out to do. And he's having his last meal and 
He's discussing his final words with his disciples and he washes their feet and he serves them and he has this meal. And then we go into John chapter 14 which Jesus gives the instruction of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 where Jesus is the true vine and 16 is talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples that it is important that he go away. It is to their, their benefit that he leave. And he said, if I leave, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you like orphans. But if I will, I will send another, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. That word another in the Greek is not that he's going to send some replica, but it is the exact same. He did not want them to miss it. And and what he was saying is, even though you will no longer see me in the physical realm, I will be the same on the inside of you. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit that abides with us is God Almighty. Hello, somebody. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about the relationship that they're going to have with him. And and, and the relationship is now going to shift where I'm not going to be among you, but I'm going to be on the inside of you. And you've got to learn that you are the branch and I'm the vine, and your job is just to abide in me and I in you. And I'm going to live in you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you, is what he's given his instructions to his disciples. Now we move into John 17. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and he needs them to pray because he knows what lies ahead. He knows the cup that the Father has given him to drink and he's got to get it a place of prayer to cause his flesh and everything to line up with the will of God. How many knows that he asked God, if there's any other way, let let this cup pass. But he prays and he needs Peter, James, and John to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes in this place of prayer and he's been praying for for some while and he comes out and how many knows they're asleep. They couldn't pray not even one hour. The time that he needed them the most, it seemed like they had failed him. But he goes on into the place of prayer till, till, till now he's in agony where his blood is seeping through the pores of his skin and his sweat mingles and his sweat becomes as drops of blood. Now I want to go into verse 18 and I want to read this. I very seldom read a lot of texts like this, but I want to really read this uh, text by text and just really share with you the price that Jesus went to. And then we're going to read what our covenant now looks like and we're going to leave this place shouting today. Amen? All right, so, so John chapter 18 and verse 1 said, After Jesus finished this prayer, he left with his disciples and went across the Kindron Valley to a place where there was a garden. Judas the traitor knew where this place was, for Jesus had gone there often with his disciples. The Pharisees and the leading priest had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and the temple police to seize Jesus. Judas, was got, Ju- Judas guided them to the garden, all of them carrying torches and lanterns and arms with swords and spears. Jesus knew, Jesus knowing full well what was about to happen, went out to the garden entrance to meet them. Stepping forward, they asked, who are you looking for? I want you to set this scene up right here. There's not about 10 people coming to get Jesus. There is a crowd of soldiers somewhere between three to 600. 300 to 600 soldiers. They have lanterns. They have lights. First of all, it's a full moon night. The light is already lit. They did not want Jesus slipping through their midst. And what I want you to understand this morning, that they did not seize him and capture him. He willingly laid his life down. 
Come on, somebody. They did not seize and capture him. This was not a moment that they were going to seize and capture. So whatever Judas, whatever talk he had in the background, they were coming fully armed, dressed for battle to take one man. Come on, somebody. How many knows there was many times where they tried to catch him and to, and to capture him, but he passed through the midst of them. They were making sure on this night that there was no way of escape, but he himself was not going to be dragged out of the garden for he was willingly going to lay his life down. And so I want you to say, that there's three to six hundred fully armed soldiers what we like we find in Ephesians 6 girded with the helmet the breastplate all of these things carrying spears and shields they are coming to get Jesus in the garden he is there with his disciples he has been praying all night long God let this cup pass from me if there be any other way but now he's made it to a place in prayer where his will is in line with the will of the father and he's going to willingly lay his life down now, the soldiers enter the garden, and Jesus of Nazareth, I'm in verse 5, they, 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 they goes to the garden entrance, and stepping forward, he asks, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. They, they, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now, Judas the traitor was among them. He replied, I am he. And at that moment, Jesus spoke the words, I am he. The mob fell backward to the ground. This is a poor translation. What he really looked at them and said, he said, I am. Come on, somebody. This is the same words that Moses gave to Pharaoh when he went to release the people, of when he went to release the children of Israel. And he said, God, how, how do I, how, who am I going to say to Pharaoh has sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. I came this morning to tell somebody in this room, he's still the great I am. He's not I will be. He's not I was. I assume they will be. He is the I am right now this morning. If you need healing in your body, he's a healer this morning. Come on somebody. If you're broke this morning, he's a blesser. I am is what he said. And when he released the words I am, the Bible says that the power of God was released in that garden and three to six hundred soldiers fell backward on their on their backs. Come on, you with me? Alright. So he said at the moment Jesus spoke the words, I am the mob fell back towards the ground. So once more, Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? As they stood up, they answered Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I told you that I am the one you're looking for. So if you want me, let these men go home. And he said this to fulfill the prophecy. He had spoken, Father, not one of those you have given me has been lost. Suddenly, Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant, slashing off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, when we read this, we think that, G, that Peter took a sword. We know according to Scripture that, Peter to, that, that God, Jesus told them to go buy a sword. So if he went and told you to buy a sword, you'd think that Jesus, being the Son of God and the prophet he was, that he, Peter thought, well, this is the reason why he told us to go get a sword. So he swings. He's not swinging to slice off an ear. He went to kill Malchus with that sword. He went to cut his whole head off. He simply take and slice the ear off. And as he slices the ear off, this is the last recorded miracle Jesus did in the physical form while he was on the earth. He reached down and healed Malchus's ear. Now here's the thing. 
Not only would Jesus, not only would Jesus be going to trial, if Jesus had not healed Malchus, Peter would have been going to trial. And Malchus was no ordinary citizen. He was actually the servant of the high priest. Come on, somebody. So therefore, how many knows that Jesus had already told Peter, he had already prophesied over him and said that when he would be old, he knew that he wasn't about to die and God needed this man to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach his first sermon. So in other words, when Jesus healed Malchus, what he did was destroy the evidence that Malchus had and the Roman soldiers had against had against Peter. They couldn't go back and said, well, Peter cut his ear off because when the high priest looked at him, his ear was completely made whole. I came to tell so this is some good news this morning. Come on, church, that God has destroyed the evidence that was against us. You and I had handwritten requirements that were against us. You and I had a lifestyle that was against us. And one good thing about God, him being omnipresent, omniscient, the whole nine yards. God cannot remember our sin. He has cast it as far as the east is from the west. It is only the enemy that remembers you, that reminds you of your past, reminds you of your sin. God never reminds you of your wrongdoing. He always calls you by your name and tells you what he thinks about you. I love this text that Dusty sent out. He said, the enemy, the enemy knows our name, but yet calls us by our sin. God knows our sin, yet he always calls us by our name. Are you thankful for the grace of God that he's not pointing out your sins this morning, that your sins are not holding you back or separating you from God? Hello? Now, Jesus destroys the evidence against Peter. He heals Malchus. Now, Jesus ordered Peter, put your sword away. Do you really think I'll avoid the suffering which my father has assigned to me? Verse 12, then the soldiers and their captains along with the Jewish officers seized Jesus and tied him up. They took him to Annas. And he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas, the one who had persuaded the Jewish leaders that it would be better off to have one person die for the sake of the people. Now. I want you to picture this. When they tied Jesus up, they're not shackling his hands and his feet. That's not how they tied him, is it, Mr. Allen? That's not how they tied him. They're not shackling him down and then dragging him out the garden. They actually put a small rope around his neck just like a lamb. And Jesus is willingly walking behind them, knowing where he's going. Friend, come on, somebody. Hebrews writes it like this. The writer of Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was never looking at the cross, friend. He was looking well beyond the cross. He was looking beyond the cross, and he saw you and I beyond the cross. Come on, somebody. We had not a chance of ever making it. Just like the song said, we've all been Barabbas in this room. We were all Barabbas. Come on, somebody. We had no chance of making it, Shane. We had not a chance of making it. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross of suffering just happened to be in his lane he's leading he's walking behind them just like the lamb would be carried by the family up to the high priest willingly giving his life let's look at verse 19 the high priest interrogated Jesus concerning his disciples and his teaching and Jesus answered Annas's question by saying I've said nothing in secret at all times I've taught openly and publicly in a synagogue in the temple courts wherever the people assemble. Why would you ask me for evidence to condemn me? Ask those who have heard what I have taught. They can tell you. Just then one of the guards standing near 
Just then, one of the guards standing near Jesus punched him in the face with his fist and said, How dare you answer the high priest? Jesus replied, If my words are evil, then prove it. But if I haven't broken any laws, then why would you hit me? Then Anna sent Jesus, still tied up, across the way to the high priest of Caiaphas. Look at verse 28. Before dawn, they took Jesus from his trial before Caiaphas to the Roman governor's palace. Now the Jews refused to go into the Roman governor's residence to avoid ceremonial defilement before eating the Passover meal. So Pilate came outside where they waited and asked them pointedly, tell me what is exactly is the accusation that you bring against this man. What has he done? They answered and said, we wouldn't be coming here to hand over this criminal to you if he was guilty of some wrongdoing. Pilate said, very well, then take him yourselves and go pass judgment on him according to your Jewish laws. But the Jewish leaders complained and said, we don't have legal authority to put anyone to death. You should have him crucified. This was fulfilled, the words of Jesus, when he predicted the manner of death that he would die. Upon hearing this, Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus. Looking him over, Pilate asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, are you asking because you really want to know? Or are you asking this because others have said it about me? Pilate responded, only a Jew would care about this. Do I look like a Jew? It is your own people and your own religious leaders that have handed you over to me. So tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, the royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would, have been, would, would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. Then Pilate responded, oh, so then you are a king. You are right, Jesus said. I was born a king and I've come into this world to prove that the truth really is. And everyone who, really, who, everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? As silence filled the room, Pilate went back out to where the Jewish leaders were, were waiting and said to them, he is not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. This is coinciding right along with the old covenant. Just as the high priest would look at the lamb and check over the lamb and said, there's nothing in this. So Pilate looks over the lamb of Israel. Come on, somebody, the lamb of God. And he says, I find no fault in this man. He's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. Now you do not know. Now you do, you do know that we have a custom that I release one prisoner every year at Passover. Shall I release your king, the king of the Jews? They shouted out over and over, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, robber and a troublemaker. Then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal now, I want to stop right here and go on this. First of all, when he's taken between these courts, and this Bible says, the King James says, and they hit him. Jesus did not get punched by one dude. There's probably well over a hundred religious leaders standing in this circle, and they all punched him right in the face. 
Not only that, they spit all over him. They spit on his face. He had spit matted in his hair at this point. Spit dripping off of his face. It was all about humiliation. They wanted to humiliate him beyond whatever. We know that according to to Jewish tradition that the crucifixion was the worst place that a man could die, worst way that a man could die because the Bible says cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so friend, when you see this, this is the awesome price at which God went to so that he could have one relationship with you and I this morning. Come on, somebody. He didn't do all of this so that we could get dressed up on Easter Sunday and come to church. He did not die for that. He did not die so that you could pay tithe. He did not die so that we could come on Wednesday night. He died because he was in love with us. Come on, somebody. That man was created in his image. He walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. And the Bible says that Adam fell. Come on, somebody. And when Adam fell, he lost that relationship. It was forever lost until Jesus, the last Adam, showed up to come and bring restoration to what was in the garden. That is what God is restoring today. Come on, somebody. That relationship where he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And what we have to cut through, especially in the South, is we've been taught all kind of things that are not true about God. We've been told that our sin separates us from God. Friend, can I tell you that when Jesus paid the price for sin, your sin no longer holds you back from God. The things that you struggle with do not hold you back from God. How many churches have I preached into and invite people to come to church? They said, man, if I come to church, the building will fall down. You know the reason why the building didn't fall down when we came in here? Because Jesus handled that problem over 2,000 years ago. That's the reason why the building don't fall down. Now the Bible says boldly, we become, we come to the throne room of judgment. Why? We can come boldly before the throne room because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of me, but because of the blood of Jesus. And when God sees you this morning, friend, he don't see you in your sin. He sees the price that Jesus paid and that is sufficient for him. That's good news. Now, Pilate orders him to be beaten because he is hoping that this is going to suffice the crowd. Now the whipping post was used of an instrument with leather, with leather tails to it that had shards of glass, metal, and any other type of sharp object. This was so horrific that, that it, could, it could silence a crowd or a mob just by threat of someone having to be scourged. It was, it was, it was, it was horrific to look at. And we, we've been taught that Jesus received 39 stripes. There's nowhere in the scripture where the Bible says he received 39 stripes. Hello. Nowhere in the Bible says that he received 39 stripes. We knew, we knew according to the crowd in there, he received a pile of stripes. I can tell you that. And so as Jesus began to take most they would take the hands and tie the hands up and then they would place them in a, in a ring, a metal ring above the head and then he would be tied down over this post where he could not move to get away from the whipping. As the Roman soldier would whip the, the whip, the first ones would go into him, it, the shards would go into the back or wherever they were at and they would rip the flesh completely off. We know that after this, according to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, it says that when Jesus left this whip, post 
when he left this whipping post, that he was beating beyond recognition. He was not even visible to even look as a, human, as, a, as, a, as a man. He was beaten beyond recognition, hoping that this would suffice. So Pilate orders this to take place, and he's at this post of whipping. What, what Stanton already quoted the scripture that in Isaiah said that he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And yet he here in the south, we're still preaching. If it be God's will, he wants to heal us. Friend, I come to tell you the truth this morning. The truth is that God wants to heal us. Come on, somebody. That God did, that God paid the ultimate price so when you and I could have victory in this life and be 100% whole. The word salvation in the Greek means sozo. It means the healing of your body, deliverance of sin, and the forgiveness of sin, and deliverance of torment. God wants us whole and Jesus paid the full price and it's time the church look at the checkbook and see how much we have in the balance and start believing and pulling on the things which we have. Well preacher what do you do about good folk dying? I can't explain all things but I came this morning just because we have to bury somebody doesn't mean we stop preaching he's a healer. There is things called the mysteries that I don't understand but I do know this that God is good 100% of the time that healing belongs to the church it is the children's bread. Come on, somebody. Deliverance is mine. Blessing is mine. Everything has been paid for by Calvary. And our view of God must shift after the cross. The cross changed things. All right. The whipping post. He's beaten beyond recognition. He's, at this point, pick it up right there for me, Amanda, just a little bit. In the whipping post, when he gets up, according to the early church writers and those that, in this time that at the whipping post, the spine would be visible. The bowels would be seeping out because now of the loins being wrapped around with the tethers had removed that much flesh. This is the condition he's in. And this does not suffice the crowd. They're still screaming, crucify this man after he's beaten beyond recognition with his bowels seeping out, the spine and, the, and bones are showing through the flesh. Now Pilate orders him to be crucified. Of oh, the crucifixion, the Romans would, would make them tote the, their own cross. They would tote the top beam of the cross. So you can, this top beam of the cross weighed around 100 pounds. Can you imagine having to carry 100 pounds uh, some great distance up a hill to Golgotha where they're going to crucify him in a perfect in, in, in a perfect physique? Now he's beaten beyond recognition and this wood, these splinters are going into raw flesh and Jesus is having to tote this. Friend, what I'm trying to tell you is the best that I could preach it and the most that Mel Gibson could put on a show. It still doesn't Describe what really happened to Jesus on that day. That's how much God loved us, friend. That's how much he loved you and I in our sin when, when none of us deserved anything in this room. But that's how much God loved us. Now he orders Jesus to be crucified. Jesus has to take the top post of the cross and he's toting it down the Via Della Rosa. He collapsed because of the fatigue and because of his body beaten the way it is. He collapsed and they order they order 
I'm, I'm not, I'm just slipped my mind right here. They order some help to help bear his cross and to get it up to the Via Della Rosa. Now let's keep reading right here. Where was it? I'm in John 19. Then, then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. And the soldiers who also uh, wove thorn branches in, into a crown and set it on his head and placed a purple robe over his shoulders. Then one by one they came in front of him to mock him saying, Hail to the king of the Jews. And after that, one of the, they repeatedly punched him in the face. Once more Pilate went out and said to the Jewish officials, I will bring him out once more. So that you know that I found nothing wrong with him. So when Jesus emerged bleeding, wearing the purple robe and the crown of thorns on his head, Pilate said to them, look at him. Here is your man. No sooner, no sooner did the priest, the high priest and the temple guard see Jesus that they all shouted in a frenzy, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate replied, you take him then and nail him to the cross yourselves. I told you he's not guilty. I find no reason to condemn him. The Jewish leaders shouted back, but we have the law. And according to our law, he must die. And because he claimed to be the son of God, then Pilate was greatly alarmed when he heard that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. So he took Jesus back inside and said to him, where have you come from? But once again, silence filled the room. Perplexed, Pilate said, are you going to play deaf? Don't you know that I have the power to grant your freedom or nail you to a tree? Jesus answered and said, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. This is why the one who betrayed me is guilty of even a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to find a way out of the situation to set him free, but Jewish authorities shouted him down. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is an enemy of the emperor. So when Pilate heard this threat, he relented and had Jesus, who was torn and bleeding, brought outside and then he went up to the elevated stone platform and took his seat on the judgment bench which is in Arabic called Gabbatha or the bench and now it was now almost noon and it was the same day they were preparing to slay the Passover lambs and Pilate said to the Jewish officials look here is your king but they screamed out take him away take him away and crucify him Pilate replied shall I nail your king to a cross the high priest answered we have no other king but Caesar then Pilate handed Jesus over to them so the soldiers seized him and took him away to be crucified Jesus carried his own cross out of the city to the place of the skull which is in Aramaic Golgotha and they were they nailed him to the cross he was crucified along with two others on one side on one on each side Jesus in the middle Pilate had them post a sign over the cross which was written in three languages Aramaic Latin and Greek and many other people of Jerusalem read the sign for he was crucified near the city and the sign stated Jesus Nazareth king of the Jews as they would take the criminals out to the crucifixion they would have to put a sign around their neck or either tote the sign so that bystanders would be able to look and be able to read what they had done wrong. What were they being crucified? This was another way of humiliation. And so Jesus is toting the cross, having to bear the sign, the king of the Jews, and he goes out to this place called Golgotha. I've heard a lot preached over the last 20 years on Golgotha. But one of the things that through this study that Mr. Allen gave me, that I, that, which the guy writes in here, and I've heard this, that the early Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church believed this, the early church writers believed that this is the very place where Adam was laid to rest. 
And so when Jesus' cross went up, all of the bondage which held us back in the first Adam, come on somebody, was driven down, come on somebody, in the last Adam to set us free. We're going to read that before we get out of here. The bondage that held us in sin, come on somebody, that where we could never be free, that we had to depend on the blood of bulls and goats. Now as Jesus is crucified, the Bible says that darkness is hovering the land. While the darkness is hovering the land at noonday, the Bible, that the high priest Caiaphas is inside the temple at this point while Jesus is being crucified. He is inside the temple and he is doing his job as high priest. He is slaying the, the Passover lambs. He's slaying the, the spotless lambs. Now at the crucifixion, I know that the pictures of Jesus is that they put the nails through his hands. That is not how that they crucified him. The nails were not driven through the hands. The nails was driven through the wrist. They would place the five-inch spikes through the wrist. And as he's hanging on the tree, uh, as he's hanging on the cross through the, the spikes uh, through the wrist, they would then take the feet, fold them over where they're touching the thing, and they would drive the nails through the feet. This is so that they could pry up on the they would have to pry up on the on the feet to try to get where they could get air to breathe. Jesus is hanging here at the place of the skull and he finally gives up the ghost and I love the way the passion reads it. He says finally my bride. Finally my bride the way the passion translation renders this. Finally my bride it is finished. As Caiaphas would slay the high priest in the temple, as he would slay a, a lamb in the natural in the temple to cover a family's sin, he would yell out that Greek word, it is finished. How many knows that when Jesus was on the cross, he was not only the lamb of God, but he was the high priest and the lamb. Come on, somebody. And he yelled out as the high priest of all of Israel and all of you and I this morning. Come on, somebody. The pre-incarnate Melchizedek now on the cross of, uh, is hanging and he he yells out, it is finished. In other words, what he's saying to his father, the mission that you have sent me to walk the earth to do, I have now completed it in full. It is absolutely finished. He cries out, it's finished. The Bible says that it, it, where Caiaphas at in the temple, that the veil of the temple at this point when Jesus dies, yells out, it is finished. When he gives up the ghost, the Bible says that the, the veil in the temple was, rent in, was ripped in two. This veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and it was the bre a man's breath, of a, a hand's breath thick. It took 300 priests to move this veil. Can you imagine Caiaphas who's standing behind this veil slaying the lambs? Can you imagine when he hears something sound like an earthquake and he looks and the veil of the temple is rent torn? This is a prophetic sign that we will never have to depend on blood of bulls and goats again. We will never enter the temple that way. Now Jesus has become the veil. Come on somebody. And you and I can enter into that. Aren't you glad this morning that you can have a relationship with God one one. It is not through the preacher. It's not through the elder. It's not through a worship leader. But it is one on one with Jesus face to face because of the blood which he shed for you and I. Now. I want you to look at this. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and I'm going to be done. Many of you going out to eat and with your family. And I'm going to be kind not be preaching forever. I want to read Romans 5. If you don't hear nothing else I say this morning. 
I want you to listen to these verses of Scripture. Because Romans really tells you the covenant in which you and I live under today. You with me? This is the covenant. This is the deed. You remember the, the, the Jewish wedding which I shared with you? How he would hand the bride the covenant in which he was responsible for upholding. I'm telling you this morning, God's still upholding this today. Come on, somebody. Romans 5, this is the covenant that you and I, this is so good. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop us in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard this the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. Church, that's good news right there. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will look, listen to this. Listen to this. this totally, I'm going to deal with this one thing right here. Because Stanton then will read me a post. This guy's got a, a large platform and, and everybody's got something to say on Facebook, okay? And so, but he goes into this deal about, about the wrath of God. There's a lot of people believe in the wrath of God and the way that they, the way that they share it. And so this brother goes on to say that God basically leaves us to believe that because you don't do right, God's going to place sickness on you. Now I'm just asking you, as simple as this, as Pastor Dale always taught us, that I got three boys, and they can be aggravating. Hello. Lee found out what the chirping is. They can be aggravating. So bad the other night that when we had to drive for a little distance, we had to go to Sylvester because Grant was playing ball. I told Catherine, I said, the next time we have extra money laying around, like if that's going to happen, but it could, that I said, you know that you know the churches, the buses, they buy to haul the seniors on. I said, we're buying one of those. I said, so me and you can set up here. We're going to put a divider wall in there, and him and Ben can sit back there and fight and do whatever they're going to do. But we got a suburban that they don't get. <laughs> but let me ask you this. As aggravated as I've been 
I've never thought about putting a terminal disease on them to teach them anything. Now here's the deal. What I got to tell you is this. All of us, our expression of who God is comes through our filters of life of what we've been experienced, of what we've experienced. The danger of that is, is instead of raising our level of experience to what God says He is, we bring God down to our level of experience of who we say He is. But according to what we just read, straight out of the Bible, this is what we just read. Now, who would us dare die for the sake of the... Right here, let me find... And there is still much more to say of His unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. I guess I ain't say nothing right there. Let me just say the Bible again. Come on. And now you are righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the, right, the wrath of God. So if while we still, why, so if while we were still sinner enemies, God fully reconciled us into himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? Let's look right here. Let's read on right here. It's fit to get real good. And even more than that, we overflow with triumph joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God all because of Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. So death flowed. Death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Listen to this. How many sins do you got to commit to be a sinner? Most people say one. That's the wrong answer. None. Nobody has to commit a sin to become a sinner. We became a sinner because Adam, what he did in the garden. We inherited sin. We were inherited by nature a sinner. Am I right? Come on, somebody. We inherited by nature a sinful nature through what Adam did. This is the same way when you receive Christ, you inherit, come on, somebody, righteousness the same way. And righteousness, come on, from Jesus is the power of God to overcome sin. We will never overcome sin by preaching against sin. If we will get what we preach, come on, if we come in here every week and say quit having sex out of marriage, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, we will have a church full of people having sex outside of marriage, drinking and cussing, come on. But if we tell you who you are in Christ and what Christ has paved the way for you to have and that you are now righteous in God, not because of what you did, but because who you have accepted as your Savior and right believing will will lead to right living because you will act out who you believe you are. If you believe you are a sinner, you will sin. But if you believe you are a saint of God in Christ Jesus, simply through the blood of Jesus, you will act out your identity. That's good. By one man, sin entered into the world. This is why Jesus came. Because Adam, Jesus was not plan B because Revelation says that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever the foundation, before the Garden of Eden, Jesus was already slain in the mind of God. God came to do it himself. It's good. Someone said, will you quit preaching where we can go eat? Listen to this. I'm almost done. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. 
Sin entered human experience and death was the result. So death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Look at this. Verse 15, now there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression. But how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of one man, Jesus, the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us more than what was given to us through the one who had sinned. Look at this. What imparted to you through the one that was sin was a sinful nature. How much more is the power of righteousness imparted into your life? This is why I tell people, people, listen, religion always works on the outside to clean a man up but leaves the inside. This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had everything on the outside right, but the inside of them was wicked. That's why Jesus looked at them and said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. On the inside, you have no life. So the kingdom of God goes on the inside of man, and it works from the inside out. That's why we see somebody come in off the street and get born again. The church wants their life right in one week. Come on, somebody. How many knows it takes a while for the seed of the kingdom to grow inside of somebody? All they have to do is just keep hold. The only way you're going to not make it is you let go of God. Come on, somebody. You just keep holding on and eventually what is on the inside of you, the power of righteousness will deliver us from anything that's got a hold of us in this room. Can I get a witness? All right. Is anybody free in here? As they be anyone, just one. Listen to this. This free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one sin. Because of the one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free of our many failures and brings us into perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. This is what God said about you. The enemy says you're guilty, but what did God say? Not guilty. My God. I guess me and Dusty are the only one happy about that because we've been guilty before. Death once held, its, held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus Messiah? In other words... Just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through the one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all of humanity to become sinners, so also one man's obedience opened the doors for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to Him. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of of human sinfulness out of hiding and yet wherever sin increased there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph over all the more and just as sin reigned through death also this sin conquering grace will reign as a king through righteousness imparting eternal life through Jesus our Lord and our Messiah that's good word now let me tell you this the target of the cross leave you with this the target of the cross was not just to forgive you of your sins 
And when the Bible says Jesus came seeking that which was lost, we were, there was a whole lot more lost than mankind. There was a deed to the garden called Eden that was lost because Adam forfeited. Come on, somebody. So when Jesus came, he came back to get the keys, listen to, death, hell, and the grave. And he forgave us of our sins. And before he leaves, he says what? I give unto you the keys to the kingdom. You and I. He trans- When Jesus said in Matthew 28 that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In heaven, that was not a revelation. God never lost anything in heaven. When Adam's sin, heaven didn't shake. It was the earth that was forfeited. When Jesus came back, he came to restore authority back into man who lost it. Come on, somebody. Man lost it, so man had to... That's why Jesus was fully man, yet he was fully God on the earth. And he came and restored that deed back into mankind. And that's what he handed over to you and I this morning. The problems in our society, guess who's got the power to change it? The church. Hello. Through one man's disobedience, sin ran rampant throughout the earth. Through another man's obedience, now righteous runs throughout the earth. Folks, that's good news right here. That you can be right with God simply by a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Someone says, well, if we preach this, won't the church act up? No, the church will always act out of its identity. If somebody's living wild and all, listen, friend, here's the deal this. Let me just put it simply. You have not met the same man I met. Grace is not on your life so that you can live lukewarm. Grace is empowerment on your life to live holiness unto God. God never raised the bar, lowered the bar when He gave His grace. Stand up with me. I want to pray before we leave. Father, we thank You today. for the gift of righteousness. Father, you are a good God. How many times have I thought I'm not going to make it? Or how many times I thought that where are you at? But you've always been faithful to me, my family. I thank you that you're a good God this morning. You're not angry with no person in this room regardless of how we live. You've never been angry, not one time towards us. You love us. You died a horrific death on a cross just to have relationship with us in this room. And Father, I thank you that we can reign in life by one simple thing, and that is by believing what you did for us and receiving that into our lives. I'll never forget when my dad, those that know me, know that I lost my dad when I was 26. He was 52. And I remember knowing that if God didn't give us a miracle that I was going to lose my dad. And I started preaching the gospel when I was 18 and my, my, my family just wasn't, they, my family just didn't live right. My dad to most standards was not even close to living right or being a Christian. And having a strong Pentecostal background and being in a Pentecostal church and being a Pentecostal preacher, I had a lot of theological issues with, you know, was this even real? I mean, this is like the last minute salvation type deal. 
And so I remember we were getting close to the end. If God didn't give us a miracle, I was going to lose my father. But I could not go through having lost my father, not with some questions being unanswered in my heart. And so I finally, I said, Dad, I said, I got to know. I said, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you're saved? And he gave me the best possible answer that he could have given. He actually gave me the right answer. Because see, living in the South, when you go do funerals, what they're going to preach is how good someone is. Church, here's the real truth. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Those that accepted the finished work of Jesus go to heaven. That's the only ones. Come on. So if we go to the south, we're going to hear how good the guy was for about 30 minutes. And I've been to some. I wanted to go lift the lid and see if they were talking about the same guy. So my dad looks at me, and this is what he said. He said, I believe what Jesus did was enough for me to get to heaven. I want to tell you this morning what Jesus did was absolutely enough for everything that we would ever face in this life. When he said it is finished, there was nothing else to be added to that story, friend. He absolutely paid it in full, and it is finished. So, Father, I thank you for the finished work of Christ. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for the great hope that we leave this morning. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. I thank you with every problem, every situation in this room that you have never left us nor forsaken us, God. You have always come through. I thank you that you're a way maker. We honor you this morning. We honor your presence. We bless you, Father, this morning. I ask your blessing upon this congregation as they go out and spend time with their family and friends. God, bless them. Father, I pray for those in this room that may be struggling with certain things. I pray that you show yourself strong and real to them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.